Good morning, and welcome to the Everyman Livestream. My name is Jason Park. I'm one of the teaching pastors here today, and very happy to be here with you. Today we're in the second part of a two-part study titled Real Courage. If you were here last week, we talked about this concept of real courage. We compared the man of culture <clears throat> with the man of Christ. And the man of Christ, <clears throat> we said, was a courageous man. He was a courageous man because he put himself after the needs of others. And he went without fear into this willingness to serve others, comparing that to the man of culture who doesn't think about others, who only thinks about himself because of his pride and his fear. And that man of culture is a coward. And we are called to be courageous men. This week's study we're talking about real courage is about real service, us being willing to go out and to serve one another. Uh, if you've heard me speak before, you've heard me share on many occasions that I'm a police officer. I've been a police officer for close to 27 years, and most police officers will start their day in what we refer to as briefing. Um, others might call it roll call. It's a time where you gather at the beginning of your shift, you go through roll call, you identify who's there, you make assignments, you pass along relevant information to the shift, maybe from the previous shift or what's relevant to the time, and you also pass along training. At the conclusion of that time, you go in service. And where I work, in the area that I work, um, we get on the radio and we advise dispatch that we are 10-8. And 10-8 is the radio code for being in service. Now, the motivated police officers, motivated deputy sheriffs, they hurried their way out of briefing. They hurried their way out of that teaching time to go into the time of service because they were so motivated. <clears throat> the less than motivated guys, is that appropriate way for me to say it? The, the lazy guys, they hung around the station. They hung around the station and, and created ways to, to prevent for them having to go into service because going into service means you have to start putting the needs of others before your own needs. We, in briefing, we, we had that time of teaching, but there was a time to leave the time of teaching and to go into the time of service. It's so important that we have the time of teaching. That's what this is right now. But there comes a time when we leave the time of teaching and we go. I think sometimes we're good as men of gathering around a table and chewing on God's word, but that does nothing for us if we don't leave that table and take God's word and to live out God's word. And that's what we're talking about today is, is being men who are courageous. Real courageous men really serve. We don't just talk about serving. First passage I want to reference here is in Luke 10, 1 to 3. <clears throat> This reads, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. <clears throat> now, if you haven't already, I definitely encourage you to upload the handouts from today's message. You can get that from uh, Everyman's Facebook page or Everyman's website. It's an opportunity for you to, to take notes about the, the message, maybe fold that up and stick that in your Bible and refer to it later, or even make copies and sit around with, with some of your friends and, 
and go through the same message. You can even replay the video. <clears throat> but, you know, I definitely recommend you doing that. But if you have those notes in front of you or you're looking at in your Bible, Luke 10 to 1 to 3, you can circle one word in that passage. It's go. It's go. The one word I want you to take away from today, if you don't remember any other word, somebody says, so what did Jason say today? He said, go. We want to be men that don't just sit around talking about God's word, which is important, which is critical. It's where I start my day every day is in God's word in my, my time, my tentative meeting as I'm getting ready for my day. But, but there comes a time when we need to go. And that's what we're talking about today is having real courage and being willing to serve one another because that's how we demonstrate what we believe. We demonstrate what we believe by our actions, our willingness to not just hear God's word, but to do God's word. The, the main passage we'll refer to today is from James 1, 22 to 25. As we hear from James that the brother of Jesus, you know, speaking and reminding us in this important issue of us, not just listening or hearing God's word, but doing God's word. And James talking about what it looks like to do versus not doing. <clears throat> James reads, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word of God go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act like those who glance in a mirror walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of, even out of the corner of a, his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man of or woman of action. That person will find delight in the affirmation in the action. That person will find delight in affirmation in the action. <clears throat> James says, draws this comparison between what it's like to be a man who only hears compared to a man who hears and he does. <clears throat> the man who hears the word of God and doesn't do the word of God, that man, he looks into the mirror. <clears throat> he looks in the mirror and he sees the man he's supposed to be. He looks into the mirror and there's a correlation between the mirror, which shows us who we are, and, and, and the word of God who shows us who we're called to be. <clears throat> the man who hears and doesn't do, he sees himself, what he's supposed to look like. He turns away from the mirror and he forgets. He forgets what he looks like. He forgets what he's supposed to do. The man who hears the word of God and does the word of God remembers who he is. He remembers who he is. He remembers what he looks like. He remembers what his identity is. And the results of that is the delight. That last passage that I read, it says that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. That's from the message version. Other versions will read something along the lines of, God will bless you for doing it. Last week, I shared with you a couple of stories about times when I stepped, you know, into a courageous moment that I was concerned about. And I shared with you a story from Haiti. I shared with you a story that I helped a lady <clears throat> at a gas station and what it felt like after that. And James says that you will find delight and affirmation in the action. That courageous moment at the conclusion of that, <clears throat> when I was actually living out my identity, I was affirmed, right? And like other versions will say, God, God blessed me because I did it. God will bless us when we do it. 
But we want to be men who know what we look like and know about our identity and know what we are supposed to do. We have confidence in that moment when we understand our identity, when we understand what we are called to do. And such an important part of us having real courage and being willing to step into service is, is understanding that. So your first fill-in on those handouts that hopefully you've uploaded is, is along the, uh, this concept of, of understanding who I am and what I'm doing is about my purpose. And I'm called to accept my purpose. Accept my purpose of, of the man that I'm, that I'm called to be, the person that I'm called to be, that I am part of the body of Christ. And there's, there's a calling, there's, there's a purpose to what I am called to do. Ephesians 2.10 reads, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. That's the New International Version. The New Living Translation says we are God's masterpiece. We are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We are called to do, to do the things that he has laid out in advance for us to do. Not to talk about the doing, but, but to actually do it. Now that's the 10th verse from Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.9 says, We are saved by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. So we have been saved by grace through faith. Absolutely, that is a fact. And as a result of that, as a result of that saving grace, there's a response to that. And our response is to live out our faith. Our response is our works. My, my pastor, Pastor J.P. Jones at Crossline Church, he says it like this, Faith works. We don't get to go to heaven because of the works that we do, the things that we do. We do the things that we do because that's the response to our faith. That's the response to our belief and our appreciation for what was done for us. What was done for us on the cross, what Jesus did for us on the cross, there's a response, there's, there's an appreciation, there's a thankfulness and a willingness to step out and do what we're called to do because that is our purpose. And when we understand our purpose, we can, we can be courageous. We can understand that we are the body of, the, of Christ. And there are many, many parts to the body. So, some muscles are, are bigger than others, and some provide, you know, potentially a more important function, but it's the entire body that makes up the entire body. And every single piece of it is important, and you are an important component to the body of Christ. And the importance is reminding ourselves that, that we have that purpose. That's the way we were designed. That's what we, we, we were designed. <clears throat> and what we were designed to do was exactly that. It is to do. So in addition to accepting my purpose, we have to connect with the supernatural. That's the next fill in here is, is to connect with the supernatural. <clears throat> now, this this idea of connecting with, with the supernatural, you know, that, that word, it, it sounds special, supernatural, but it, it, it's kind of in the way you enunciate it because the supernatural is actually quite supernatural because we can have a tendency to, to overcomplicate it. Even when you hear some of these scriptures that I reference, is they are complicated. They're talking about these, these massive concepts of this supernatural power and authority that we have in us, but today we're just reminding ourselves of these truths. We're, we're understanding that the Word of God is true and it's accurate, and we're reminding ourselves of these truths. And as complicated as they are, maybe that's right now all we need is we need to hear that they, that they are true. Acts 1.8 
um, is referencing this power. So with regard to that supernatural power, I'm going to break it up into two components. The supernatural first is, is power, right? Supernatural power. Acts 1.8 reads, says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. <clears throat> he has been resurrected. He's giving them this last bit of instructions before he sends into heaven. He's, and he's sharing with them what will happen. <clears throat> he's going to send the helper. He's going to, to send the Holy Spirit. And at that point, that Holy Spirit will stay behind. What he's saying to them, you will receive power. We have access to this, this supernatural power. Now, this, the word for power here is the same type of power that is expressed when it's talking about Jesus performing miracles. This is, this is transforming power that we have within us as a result of us having the Holy Spirit in that relationship with Jesus. It is not just something that makes us a little bit stronger. It makes us and gives us access to that same power and, and makes us just as powerful in, in anything that we do, giving us that courage to step into the moments we need to step into. <clears throat> I was in, on a different trip to Haiti that I referenced last week, and I was teaching to these young Haitian pastors, and I was sharing with them this passage, and, and I asked them to give me the Haitian Creole word to describe this power, and the, the word that they used was basically dynamite. In Haitian Creole, it's pronounced dynamite, which is basically the same. But that, that expression for this word power was that of dynamite. And, and I thought that that was a perfect way to describe this word because this power, is a, it's, a trans, it's a transforming power. It's, it's a, the power to change something in a dramatic way. I, I use this reference when I'm teaching men to describe this power is like dynamite. <clears throat> and I, I describe it like this, that if I was holding a stick of dynamite in my hand and I lit it and the dynamite went off, you can imagine that, right? That my hand, after that dynamite exploded, my hand would be different, right? My hand would be here, but my hand would be very different as a result of that power. When we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. We are different. And it's important that we understand that power and remind ourselves of that power. Paul talks about this power in Ephesians 1, 18 to 19, when he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened <clears throat> in order that you may know the hope to which you are called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. If you continue to read, it says that power is the same power who that raised Christ from the dead. That's the power that's within us. We have this power. We, we, we have been equipped with this power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. When we maintain and started that relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we have that power of that Holy Spirit within us that equips us, that allows us to go, go in a situation and to serve, and to serve courageously. But when we don't believe that, when, when, when we, we, we read about having that power, but we don't access that power, that's, that's not us appreciating that power and utilizing it for what it was intended. Romans 1.16, Paul continues, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and the Gentile. So we have this power that it was granted to us. And it is, it is transforming power. 
and, and we should be utilizing it and connecting to it because it's there whether we like it or not, but we have to connect it. We have to, to stir that power up on a regular basis. So connecting to that supernatural power next is the supernatural authority that was granted to us as a result of our relationship with Jesus. In Luke 9, 1 to 2, a very similar conversation that we were addressing there before from Luke 10, but Luke 9, 1 to 2, it says, when Jesus had called the 12, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and go heal the sick. Their mission was to drive out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. He gave them that authority. That same authority has been given to us. He's given that same authority. So that was Luke. Um, that was in Luke when Jesus is addressing the 12. Now, from Luke 10, when he's addressed the 72, he says, Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. We have this supernatural power. We have the supernatural authority. And what is inspiring to me is what that tells me is I'm equipped. I am equipped to serve. I'm equipped to go into situations that are uncomfortable, situations that require me to be courageous. And I'm equipped to operate in those environments. Last week, I talked a lot about how we're afraid to go and we're afraid to serve in situations because we're afraid we're not going to be ready for it. We've been given the supernatural power and authority that we are equipped. As a police officer, there were plenty of times when I went into situations with, that were risky, that were scary, with all kinds of uncertainty, and I had to rely on the fact that I was equipped. I'd been given the training. I'd given the resources to go in and, and operate effectively in that environment. We've been given the same training and the same resources, and the reminder is what? Is to go. Is to go because we are equipped. So we have to connect with, with the supernatural. Next, as a result of us being called as disciples, I'm responsible to be present. Okay? I'm responsible to be present. Now, when I, when I mention that, I want us to look at it from two different perspectives. When we're present, you can even look at it from the perspective of us being in a room. We are perceiving things in, in, in that operational environment, whatever you type of environment you want to think of, we're, we're perceiving things, but we are being perceived when we are present, when we, when we come into a situation and we are, are present. And with regards to the way that we are perceived, the way that we are seen, I want us to look at Colossians 3, 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and overall these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity what i love about this passage is i've drawn a correlation between me serving as a police officer and us to serving us serving as disciples all the way down to me talking about we're having briefing and we're getting ready to go 10-8. We're, we're getting ready to go in service. Paul and to the, the church here in Colossians is, is talking to them about their uniform. <clears throat> As disciples, we wear a uniform. I will leave here and I will go to work and I will put on my uniform. And, and when people see me in that uniform, there's expectations they have of me. 
There's expectations. There's a certain amount of authority that goes along with it. There's a responsibility that goes along with it. You were a, a uniform too. You intentionally every day put on the uniform that's made of, of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. And when you read a couple more lines, it says, and we put on love. When we, you walk into the room, that's the uniform that people see. That's the uniform that people see. Now that uniform is, is a little less obvious <clears throat> than my uniform. The uniform that I wear as a police officer. But people see us coming from a long ways away. They see how we hold ourselves. They, they see how you make eye contact. They see the smile that's on your face. They see you open the door for them. They hear you say, how are you doing today? And they start to see that uniform come through. But that's the way that we are perceived. And, and we need to, to wear that uniform with pride. Uh, I'm very proud of my profession. And I'm perfectly okay with walking into an area and knowing that people are looking, especially you've heard me say, I'm six and a half feet tall, 250 pounds. It's kind of obvious. And I'm okay with people seeing with me. And I understand what the ex expectations that they have of me and the responsibility that I have of that. The same thing is true for you and your uniform. And when we are present, people see our uniform. That's the way that we are perceived. Now there's the way that we perceive. First Peter 5, 8 to 9, it says, Be alert and of sober mind your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same sufferings. So the way that we're perceived is people see our uniform. <clears throat> the way that we perceive is we know what's going on. Last week I talked about we go into situations with expectations to serve. We go into situations we know that there's somebody within the vicinity of us that, that, that needs help, right? We go into those situations because we know that there's somebody who's sick. We know that there's somebody who's a little bit weak that day. We need to know that somebody's you know, that needs help. We do that because at the same time, our adversary, right? Our enemy, the devil is doing the same thing. You know, there's this picture of a lion that's prowling around. And what does the lion that's prowling around looking for? They're looking for the one who's wandered off from the flock. They're looking, looking for the one who's sick, the one who's hurt, the one who's a little bit weak, the one who's tired. And he's going to devour them. Us, that we are sober and we're alert, we're doing the same thing. We're looking for the same person the devil is looking for. The difference is, is he wants to kill that person and we want to bring that person life. We want, we want to protect that person. And when I'm present and I have my uniform on so people can see me, I have the presence of mind to pay attention to the people that are around me, the people that are in need. And I walk in those situations and I expect to find somebody that I can serve and I do that because I'm connected to the supernatural power and authority of God. And I'm a quick, equipped to serve in that moment. It, regardless of what that, that moment is, I can be confident that I can enter into that situation, whether it's, it's somebody that I know very well in a family member who's a family member, somebody that I don't know that well, because I have that transforming power that has been granted to me as a result of my relationship with Christ. So I'm responsible to be present and I expect those opportunities that that will be useful. Next, in addition to um, being present, I'm a good partner. I'm a good 
partner. And I've given plenty of illustrations of, of me and my life as a police officer. And I, and I think about the partners that I had and who were good partners, who were good partners to me. A couple of scriptures from Proverbs says, friends come and go, but two friends sticks to you like family. And then Proverbs 17, 17 says, friends love at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I had a lot of great partners. I had a lot of great partners. When I think about what good partners do, you know, in, in, as, we, as we're serving in our communities, and you could draw the same correlation to, to me now and to you now because you have partners. You know, good partners, you know, we, we pay attention to, to where we're at in life and where we're at throughout the day and, and, and what we're doing. And we pay attention to, to them so closely that we can recognize that there's anomalies in the way that they're acting and, and they're being you know, less vocal. Or maybe there's, there's a change in, in, in just the way that they're acting. <clears throat> you know, in law enforcement, um, you know, police officers very commonly will carry around a steno pad. <clears throat> the way that I was trained was on this side of my steno pad, I wrote down where I was and and what I did and who I spoke to and, and what they said. And I could refer to that later if I had to write a report or just had to document the incident. This was what I was doing. And on the flip side of my steno pad, I would keep track of where my partners were because I could hear on the radio that they were at this corner or this address doing whatever that they were doing. You know, dispatch sent them there. And I would just make a note of where they are in what they were doing and occasionally they would get on the radio and, and maybe they're not calling for help but I could hear that there was something unique about the tone of their voice that there was something going on that was maybe just you know was a little heightened risk compared to what they thought that they were walking into and I knew what they were and I could stop what I was doing and I could go help them. <clears throat> we need to be the same type of partner that we have have these people that we hung, hang out with these people that, that are close to. And, and I shared with you last week when you don't really understand who your partners were, I shared with you the story where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep. And I, I interpret that as, you know, Peter was called to, to lead those, lead those disciples. <clears throat> you have, have people that you're around. And when you're a good partner, you're, you're paying attention to what your guys are doing. And, and the, what the people are around you, and you're in close enough proximity that you can hear their voice, and you know where they are, and you know what they're doing, and you know the hardships that they're, they're involved with, and you're asking them you know, in those, during those hardships how that you can be helpful to them because, because you're a good partner, because you're a good partner. For me, we used to talk about you know, our partners are the ones who, who make sure we go home at the end of our shift and we go home without without injury. Our partners are the ones that, that, that keep us on track. Our partners are there to help us with, with decisions. Our, our partners are there to pull us back when we need pulling and, and correcting and admonishing. We want to be a good partner. Luke 15, 4-5 says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders joyfully. <clears throat> There's this picture of a shepherd and he has a flock and he's paying attention because invariably at some point one of the sheep are going to wander off. They're going to wander off and because they are distracted, because they're injured for whatever reason and he expects that to happen and he's willing to leave the 99 and to go find the lost sheep. He does that because he knows that there is the devil, his enemy, who's prowling around like a lion, he's waiting to pick that person off. 
He's willing to, 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 to pick that person off. That's what we need to be doing as, as partners. Yes, we're there in the flock and we need to have this expectation that occasionally one of our partners wanders off. And they become the priority. And for a moment, we leave that 99 and we bring that person back and we cheer. We cheer because we pulled somebody back. We protect them back in the flock. So this last fill in here, the big idea is I reveal my faith in what I do. I reveal my faith in what I do. People don't know you're a Christian because you have a bumper sticker. People don't know you're a Christian because after your signature line or an email, there's, there's, there's a verse. People don't know you're a Christian because they look in your car and they could see that your Bible rests on your front seat. They know you're a Christian because you are Christ-like. They know it because of what you do. That you don't just listen to God's word. You don't just go on Sunday or go on Thursday morning. You do God's word. That's how you are known, that your faith is revealed by what you do. This closing passage, as we continue on in the second chapter of James, he says in verses 14 and 19, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What James is saying is great. You believe in God. That's great. The devil believes in God. The devil believes in God, you know, more than everybody else believes in God. He knows that God is real. He's okay with that. What he's worried about is when we stop just believing in God and we start living out our faith in God. Start, start hearing God's word and start doing God's word. So what did I tell you at the beginning? What's the one word I want you to take away from today? Is go. Just like he told the 72, just like Jesus told the 72, go. Yes, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. But we have this power, this connection to this supernatural power and authority that causes us to be equipped that we go into situations that we are presence by the way that we are perceived, what we perceive, what's going on as well. And we are surrounded by partners, partners that take care of us. And we're a good partner too. So that all the while people see us living out our faith, not by what we say or read or talk about, by what we do. So your challenge is go. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I pray for you. I, I know that going is challenging and scaring, but I, I promise you, you are equipped and we want to be supportive of that. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've been equipping us as believers. Lord, I, I pray for the men that are listening right now that have the courage to, to go, to go and live out their faith. Lord, I pray that we'd be men who look intently into your perfect laws as written in James, and we spend time in the morning, but we take that information and we are fueled and we learn from it and we go, Lord. We go and we live out our faith. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. Amen.
Have a great day and we'll see you next week.